G'day folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week I got quite uh, royally nerd-sniped by uh, this awesome uh, teardown of a UFI bootkit called Black Lotus, and so I do want to dig into that uh, coming up in a bit, but we will start off doing the usual roundup of security vulnerabilities that have been fixed in uh, the Ubuntu releases in the past week. Uh, yeah, as I say, I kind of got nerd-sniped a bit on that, so yeah, it will be a bit briefer than usual, but we're going to look at uh, some updates for the kernel. Uh, what else? Uh, Intel Microcode and Clam AV, ZoneMinder, uh, WebKit GTK, and a bunch of others. So let's get into those. Now, first up was an update for MariaDB to fix a regression. Uh, the latest point release uh, had a bunch of memory and performance regressions. And so, yeah, we've updated to the latest, latest point release to fix those. And that's for our more recent releases, so 2004, 2204, uh, LTS respectively, and 2210. Then there were some kernel updates, thanks to the kernel team. Uh, these are for our 604 extended security maintenance users. Uh, so the first one is for the 4.15 hardware enablement kernel, which is backported from 18.04 LTS. Included uh, 19 different CVE fixes there. Uh, the most interesting of those was uh, the Syscatal stack buffer overflow that I talked about back in last week's episode. There was also, yeah, the kernel update for uh, 6.04 ESM on AWS. And that's the 4.4 GA kernel that is yeah, optimized for running under AWS. A bunch of fixes there as well. DCMTK was updated for uh, a bunch of releases. So 16.04 ESM plus 18.04, uh, LTS plus 22.10. In this case, uh, this is a bunch of libraries and utilities for handling of uh, DICOM, which is digital imaging and communications in medicine format files. And these are used by radiology devices and the like being written in uh, C++, I think in this case, various memory corruption issues and the like are leading to you know the usual kind of things like denial of service and code execution. Uh, what's I guess also interesting about these is often these are used for like interchange between uh, you know medical practices and clinics and things like that. So you can imagine you know, there's possibly lots of different uh, remote file upload systems that are using these, you know, hopefully not uh, you know, with uh, exploitable vulnerabilities in them anymore uh, as a result of this update. But yeah, you always got to be careful, I guess, what you public exposed to the internet and what your risk profile is but yeah I digress anyway let's move on uh, an update for APR uh, this is the uh, Apache portable runtime uh, one vulnerability here for 2204 long-term support and 2210 uh, an integer overflow leading to possible memory corruption and therefore denial of service and code execution Intel microcode was updated for uh, four different CVEs here. Uh, this is the latest upstream release from Intel. This same version is shipped in all of our releases. So 1604 ESM, 1804, 2004, 2204 LTS, all of those, and 2210. Uh, we don't update this all the way back on 1404 ESM because that kernel doesn't support uh, you know, runtime loading of microcode. In this case, uh, there was various issues, particularly in uh, Intel SGX and uh, out-of-band manage management systems where it was possible to bypass the various protections like that you know, SGX has for like privileged uh, access there, but you need to be an admin in the first place. But you know, SGX is designed such that even say root can't compromise what's there. But yeah, in this case, you could. Uh, so they've now been fixed through these microcode updates. Clam AV was updated for the latest upstream point release, 0.103.8, and this fixes a couple of different vulnerabilities, one in HFS Plus uh, parser and the other in the DMG uh, file format parser. Uh, both of these are different file system formats from Apple, and yeah, again, we ship the same Clam AV version all the way back to 1404 Extended Security Maintenance. Um, ZoneMinder was updated for uh, 13 different CVEs here. This is the video surveillance software system and you know, includes obviously a web front end for accessing all your different video cameras and the like. And so not surprisingly, it contained a heap of different cross-site scripting flaws and the like. 
uh, plus even a stack uh, buffer overflow in the handling of username and passwords because it used a fixed size buffer on the stack for those, uh, which is, you know, what year is this? Why are we still seeing uh, vulnerabilities like this? Uh, and even a, um, an issue in the handling of files being uploaded where you could get possible code execution as well. And so they've all been updated for ZoneMinder. Uh, and then we had other updates, so things like OpenVSwitch, Curl, um, NSS, uh, the crypto library, uh, WebKit GDK uh, for a possible type uh, confusion bug that was in the upstream WebKit. Uh, Apple said that they had seen reports that this had been actively exploited in the wild. So I guess things like uh, the GNOME Active Portal uh, handling and things is hopefully a little safer now that that's been updated. Uh, Rack was updated. Uh, MPlayer for 10 different CVEs. What else? Um, OpenJDK was updated uh, to the latest upstream point releases there. So OpenJDK 11, uh, aka OpenJDK LTS, um, 17 and 18, uh, plus OpenJDK 8 as well. Uh, what else? Python was updated for our 24 long-term support uh, release. And this goes into ESM apps and therefore uh, Ubuntu Pro. So if you're running Ubuntu Pro, you get access to this. Uh, this the most interesting of these was a high-priority vulnerability uh, in the handling of the multi-processing module in Python. Uh, if that was being used with uh, the fork server start method on uh, Linux, that would then actually allow pickles to be deserialized from any user on the same machine in the same network namespace. So I'm guessing it was doing something like listening on some abstract socket or something in the network namespace automatically and so therefore as one user you could basically just you know inject a pickle into that and therefore it would get deserialized and you'd get code execution because pickles are serialized python objects so yeah not a great one there but that has been fixed as well but obviously you need quite a um, particular configuration there and it is only on the local machine as well it's not accessible over the network you know interesting bug there nonetheless uh, a few other updates as well aws stats uh, GNU tls php uh, we had an update for PIP due to regression in a previous update. Um, the Light HTTPD server as well, uh, XPAT, and even uh, the venerable GNU TAR was updated for a single vulnerability. Uh, this was a one byte out of bounds read. Uh, looks like it was found through fuzzing. Uh, no evidence yet that this could be uh, used to gain uh, control flow. So likely just at most a denial of service here if that one byte that you could overflow happened to be you know right on the edge of the page. So therefore outside of the mapped uh, pages. So therefore you'd get a seg fault. But yeah, unlikely to really be an issue in practice. But hey, that's been fixed as well. And the last thing for the week was an update for uh, the latest uh, point release of Firefox 110.0.1 uh, due to a bunch of regressions that were in the original uh, 110.0 release. Uh, that's for uh, our 1804 and 24 long-term support releases because Firefox in the latest releases is now shipped as a snap, so you get automatic updates for that. Uh, and of those, the biggest regression looked like uh, if you chose to clear recent cookies, it would go and clear all of your cookies. So yeah, not a good one um, there. Uh, plus actually a uh, WebGL crash that you could be seen uh, if you were running under VMware on Linux. So yeah, that has been updated for Firefox as well. Whew, and that is it for the week in security updates. All right, so as I mentioned at the start, the other thing I wanted to dive into this week was a really cool teardown of uh, some malware called Black Lotus. Uh, this was done by ESET on their We Live Security uh, kind of blog or news service. Uh, this is what they call the first in the wild example of a UEFI bootkit that is able to bypass UEFI secure boot. 
And yeah, they uh, say that this appears to be uh, the Black Lotus uh, bootkit, which uh, I guess was first seen back in about October last year, um, being announced as being sold on various hacking and criminal forums and the like. Uh, at that point, you know, the uh, sellers of it were claiming it could do, you know, all these things like, uh, you know, it was only 80K in size, so very small. As part of that, it had anti-debug and obfuscation um, things implemented in it to be able to avoid reverse engineering. Uh, what else? It was able to bypass Windows user account uh, control plus UEFI secure boot and can then load unsigned drivers even. Uh, it was able to uh, disable uh, HVCI, which is a hypervisor protected code integrity on Windows. It's a feature designed to protect the Windows kernel from modification at runtime, basically by running it uh, kind of in more like a uh, you know, part of the hypervisor outside of the normal um, memory areas and the like with various integrity protections put in there as a result. Uh, what else? It could disable BitLocker and even Windows Defender. They also said it could persist in UEFI and is able to protect itself from being unloaded as well. And it used a signed bootloader so it could work on machines with a secure boot enabled. Um, at the time, though, uh, researchers weren't able to independently verify these claims because there were no samples of available. But yeah, ESET uh, said they first started seeing evidence of, I guess, the client parts of this that sort of download further parts. And then they were able to then get samples of uh, the actual bootkit itself. And they were able to match those even against samples that were already on virus total that hadn't yet been analyzed, I guess. Um, and it's being Windows malware, particularly, you know, probably wondering why we're discussing this on the Ubuntu Security Podcast. Well, probably long-time listeners would have heard me discuss things like uh, Boothole and other uh, UFI secure boot type vulnerabilities in the past in things like Shim and Grub. And interesting to see one here that affects Windows, but very similar. So yeah, I thought um, interesting to dive into that and see the details. But of that too, the most, uh, I guess, really interesting part of that is that this vulnerability actually uses uh, Shim and Grub to do part of its exploitation. So we'll get into that in a minute. Um, they go about this, as I say, using a copy of Shim and Grub, uh, but not because they're exploiting any vulnerabilities in those components themselves, uh, but since they're very useful components, if you want to build your own bootkit, basically if you want to be able to boot anything on your EFI, you need something that's trusted by Microsoft already, and that is Shim, and you know, Grub is a very flexible bootloader, and so yeah, those two in conjunction allow you to do a lot of things. Um, yeah, as I say, the actual vulnerability that they're exploiting here, though, is a vulnerability in the Windows Boot Manager UEFI binary that then allows them to subvert different parts of the secure boot process to then be able to load their own code into the secure boot process and therefore gain uh, you know, persistence as well as being able to execute further parts as well. Uh, the way they actually do this, you know, they get code execution on the machine in the first place, and I'm guessing this has to be privileged because it looks like they download various um, binaries into the EFI uh, partition. So they drop their own binaries in there, including uh, a copy of Shim and a um, malicious version of Grub. We'll get to those in a minute. Um, plus a vulnerable version of this Windows Boot Manager UEFI binary. So this is a binary that is shipped by Microsoft on older Windows releases that had this known vulnerability. And actually this vulnerability uh, was announced by Microsoft back in last year. Um, and so they shipped their own vulnerable version of that in case I guess the machine has already been patched. Plus, yeah, they ship all the other bits that they need as well. Uh, they then go on and disable BitLocker and various things to make sure that uh, when they then go and boot, you know, their new components don't get uh, stopped from being booted because the usual integrity checks then don't run. And they also ship their own custom um, UEFI boot configuration data. And that's needed so that then they can ex essentially exploit this vulnerability in the Windows uh, Boot Manager. 
Um, what that allows them to do is essentially uh, load that at uh, boot time. Uh, they've then able to, by using this vulnerability, load other custom code that they drop in as a result as well and uh, therefore load uh, then additional binaries into the boot process. Those binaries go on to modify uh, secure boot configuration by enrolling their own uh, secure boot key into the machine owner keyring or the mock database. Um, normally, this kind of thing actually is, requires a sysadmin to uh, reboot the machine and sit at the console and you know, type something to say that they actually confirm that they want a new key enrolled in there because this is the kind of thing that once a new key is in there, anything signed by that key will happily be booted by the secure boot. Um, but in this case, because of that uh, vulnerability, they're able to bypass that normal protection and do it without any knowledge of the sysadmin as well. So they silently enroll their own key. Then they've got their own malicious version of Grub and that is signed by that key. And as a result, they use a pristine copy of Red Hat's Shim that's been signed by Microsoft. So the Microsoft bootloader trusts that. Um, Shim will then trust their uh, malicious Grub because they've already enrolled their own key into the machine owner keyring, and uh, then it will happily boot that as well. Their grub, as I said, though, is malicious. It's uh, unlike Shim, which is unmodified. It contains a bunch of, uh, I guess, all the nasty bits in there, including things like um, being able to hook into uh, different parts of the UEFI boot process further on to be able to subvert that, as well as then eventually be able to subvert uh, Windows itself once it's running and then be able to run, uh, be able to load their own you know, drivers and the like as well. So basically, then they're able to entirely compromise Windows as a result. Uh, there are a lot of more details in the Teardown article itself, particularly about obviously how all these various components are installed into Windows and how then they're able to load their additional drivers and you know carry out their further parts of the campaign. Uh, you know even things like um, how their C2 works and how the uh, anti-analysis and reverse engineering bits work as well. But hey, this is the Ubuntu Security Podcast, so let's not uh, dive too much into that. Um, what as I said, is interesting though for uh, Linux users is this is reusing a bunch of components that were originally designed to boot Linux on machines that were originally designed only to boot Windows. Uh, basically, the way that that works is that Microsoft has this third-party um, certificate that is uh, enrolled uh, by default on, I guess, a lot of machines um, so that anything that is signed by that Microsoft third-party certificate will allow to be allowed to be booted. Uh, Shim is one of those things. So Canonical and others, we um, build versions of Shim uh, for Ubuntu and then we get Microsoft to sign that so that then we put that on the Ubuntu ISO so that then you're able to boot that automatically with Secure Boot enabled on your machine that's really only and originally designed to boot Windows. What's interesting to see, I suppose, is that the reason this can be exploited in the first place is that Microsoft have not gone and revoked um, their original vulnerable Windows Boot Manager binary. Back when uh, we had all the original boot hole vulnerabilities, um, all the different shims that were uh, vulnerable as part of that and Grub and the like did get revoked. Um, but revoking this Microsoft binary would mean, obviously, that lots of old versions of Windows would no longer boot. Um, and uh, say your recovery image that you have, which has an original copy of that bootloader, would also fail to boot and the like as well for Windows. So I guess um, maybe Microsoft decided that that was too much of an impact to be able to go and revoke that. But obviously, because they haven't revoked it, uh, the attackers in this case are able just to ship a, an old version of this binary and uh, the Windows bootloader will happily trust it. So yeah, not good. Um, Another interesting bit from this also is that uh, the exploit that they're using appears to come directly from a proof of concept that was uploaded to GitHub uh, in August last year. So it looks like uh, this proof of concept was uploaded to GitHub in August and then we saw reports of this malware being available in October just a few months later. So uh, these... Uh, 
you know, threat actors or whatever were able to take this proof of concept and weaponize it and turn it into what looks like quite a reliable bootkit within just a few months. And so that's likely to, I guess, restart the usual discussions that we see around, you know, uh, is it good to have um, proof of concepts and the like being um, put on uh, public places like GitHub, you know, making this stuff freely available, uh, obviously makes a lot of tools available to attackers and whatnot that would like to use them. But I guess the other side of that argument is that by making them available, then uh, defenders and stuff can see what's being used you know, we can obviously say even build I don't know signatures to detect them and it puts pressure then on uh, you know organizations like Microsoft and others to go and actually revoke their vulnerable components so that they can't be exploited by these sorts of things particularly when it's so easy and actually even looking at that proof of concept now in the last 24 hours it looks like there's been updates to that to add uh, code to it to allow it to operate on even older versions of Windows uh, 10 so yeah even more reason perhaps for Microsoft to go and revoke their old uh, Windows Boot Manager binary so I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens with that one but yeah interesting to see you know it's not just Linux that is affected by uh, these sorts of UFI secure boot issues yeah even Microsoft uh, even Windows is affected by them as well so yeah I thought it was an interesting one to dive into all right and that takes us to the end of this week's episode as always if you want to get in contact with the team you can email us at securityubuntu.com we are in the ubuntu security channel on libera.chat and we are on uh, mastodon at ubuntu security at fosterdon.org as well come and follow us in the fediverse okay i'll be back again with you all next week but until then remember keep calm because we've got you back and i'll speak to you soon bye